not only because wait a minute, not only because we don't have the computer working today, but because I want to really encourage you to read the passages of Scripture that are listed on the little insert in your bulletin. You remember three weeks ago, uh, we started looking at this, and that is the last 24 hours of our Lord's life. And I'm going to pray in just a minute. Uh, I'm choosing to read from John 13, because in the Gospel of John, that is when these last 24 hours of the earthly life of Jesus begin. Okay? But I want to encourage you. I I can't make you do anything as your pastor, and I know that. But I want to encourage you to take time to find out about what your Savior did for you and me and for the world in those last 22 hours, 24 hours. I'm so pumped up this morning, folks, I don't even know where to begin. Okay? And what I mean by that is when I think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, for us, we didn't sing the third verse of it is well with my soul. And Janet, it's not a criticism not sing the third verse. But did you look at that verse and what it says? Let me read that, that verse to you. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole. Now think about this for just a second. Every single sin that you and I have committed or are committing, or will commit, was nailed to Jesus at the cross. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us hearts that will desire to study those last 24 hours. And give us minds that will be receptive, Lord, to the truth of what Jesus did for us in those last 24 hours. God, wake us up as Christians and as a church that every day that we live is a gift from you, our Creator, And because we've been born into the kingdom of God, every day that we live, you have a plan for those 24 hours. Father, forgive us when we've been selfish and we've resisted the plan that you have for every day of our life. Forgive us when we've denied that we know the Lord by the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we think. Forgive us, Father, when, like the religious leaders, we have rejected you and your authority over our lives. And, Father, I just pray that not only these moments as we study the Scripture together as the body of Christ, but, Lord, as individuals, give you the time to read these passages of Scripture in the Gospels that you will speak to our hearts. Oh, God, please, please, Lord, speak through me this day. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. I think I've told you this before, but I want to tell you again because it's taken on new meaning for me. 
every year as we begin a new calendar year, I feel like, well, I've got to have a sermon that talks about what we're going to do this year, maybe some goals. And as I look at my life, and as I'm headed toward the end, and I'm not talking, I don't think I'm going to die anytime soon, certainly hope I'm not, but I know that what is before me is less than what's behind me. In other words, I'm over the hump and I'm going down on the other side. And, Corey, I would confess that openly, okay? And I've begun to think about what am I going to do these next couple of years as a minister, as a full-time minister, and then what will I do in retirement? And one day, in my own little selfish way, and God knew that, I said, well, God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? And he didn't speak in an audible voice, but this is what I feel he said to me. What are you going to do for me today? And folks, I think that's what we need to ask as Christians of ourselves and ask the church. What are we going to do today for the Lord Jesus Christ? In the next 24 hours, what are we going to do for him? Folks, it's it's changed my whole new whole perspective and giving me a new perspective about things. I sang in the choir this morning, not because I think they need me, not because I was invited, not because I think I'm that great a singer. I think God wants me to sing his praises. And it's time that we stop thinking about what we want to do with our life and what Jesus Christ wants to do in and through our life. And folks, if you and I don't get convicted about what Jesus has done for us in reading these last 24 hours we have a hardened heart as Christians. And so I want to read John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, just to get us started. The first 12 chapters of John essentially have been the seven signs that Jesus did to prove who he was. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And I know that that's debated among people in our land. But folks, the Word of God tells us who He is. And there were seven miracles or signs to prove that. But now in John 13, John dramatically changes his focus to the last 24 hours from John 13 through John 19. And this is how he begins those last 24 hours. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, he he loved them to the end. Now, I find that phrase so important because, let me read that phrase, he loved them to the end in several different translations. The New International Version translates it, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The Amplified Bible translates it, he loved them to the last and to the highest degree. And folks, as you read these 24 hours, you're going to see the love of Jesus Christ being poured out in such an unimaginable way. And folks, as I read these passages of scriptures and I think about these sermons, there's no way in my limited vocabulary and my limited ability to communicate to you everything in every way that Jesus was loving. Not only those 11 disciples and even Judas the betrayer, but how much he was loving the world. 
Can we say that we will love Jesus to the end? And again, it goes back to, we can't say, well, I'm going to start living for Jesus somewhere down the road. I'm going to start living for Jesus when I do everything that I want to do, when I get my bucket list done, that I'm going to start living for Jesus. And hopefully right before I get ready to approach the gates, he'll say, well, you did a pretty decent job. And folks, I'm not trying to sound sarcastic or judgmental. I'm saying now is the day to serve Jesus Christ. Stop putting it off and let's get busy and let's give him this day. Let's do it day by day by day, by 24-hour increments. In verse 2, John tells us during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. And I want, to, I want to point something out, and I think I said this three weeks ago. In those 24 hours, all the armies, I believe, of hell itself attacked the Lord Jesus Christ. And it began at that supper when Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him You see, if you and I make an effort to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is going to make his best effort to keep us from doing that. And if we seek to become a witness, Satan's going to seek to silence us. If we seek to live on a day-by-day, a moral, upright, Christ-like life, Satan is going to hurl many, many temptations at us. And that's why on a day-to-day basis, we must spend time in prayer And as we read these last 24 hours, Jesus spent time in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many hours are we spending in prayer on a week-to-week basis? Folks, we need to wake up and hear if the Lord Jesus Christ went through it, we will too. Jesus, verse 3, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. Did you notice this is the second time that that John says this in verse 1? Jesus said it's time to depart out of this world to the Father. Folks, do you and I realize it? And we would say as Christians, well, yeah, we're all going to heaven. Thank God. You know, we've been born into the kingdom of God. We've been saved, so we're going to heaven. But are we ready to meet the Lord with what we're doing right now? Let's, let's be serious. If we died today, would God look at us and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or would he say, Why have you been waiting so long to surrender everything to me? Just not just part, but everything. If God has given us the ability to sing, we ought to sing. If God has given us the ability to teach, we ought to teach. If God has given us the ability to witness, we ought to witness. If God has given us the ability to befriend others who are lost and live as a Christ-like example before them, we ought to do that now. Folks, this is a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture, and I'm going to get to it in just a minute, okay? In verse 4, Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel. Now, let me ask you something. If you were getting ready to die, and if you knew that Judas, one of the disciples, was going to betray you, if you knew that the other 11, Peter was going to deny you three times, the rest of the crowd was going to run off and say, we don't know this man. If you knew that they were coming to carry you away and horribly put you to death, would you sit down and serve others? But that's exactly what our Lord Jesus did. And you see, we're living in a world that is so focused on ourselves. And I'm joking with you now when I say this. How many of us have taken selfies? I've got a couple on my phone. 
But that's, we're always looking at ourselves. Jesus said, look at others. There's a world around us that He has left us here to minister to. And as Jesus prepared to die on the cross, He set the example of washing the disciples' feet. What have we done? Now, I know this is not a serious question for you because many of you have been working very diligently in recent weeks to help with the benefit last night. I'm so proud of you. And I thank you so very much for what you've done. But folks... There's a dying world. Yes, a dying world that is approaching the gates of hell itself because they have either not heard the gospel from a reputable source. And folks, all of us falter and fail. And there's a lot of days when I'm sure people wonder if I'm really a preacher or not. I'm sure some of you have wondered that before. But folks, there's a world that's begging for us. Just simply stand up and live like Jesus did. And if we do that, we will model servanthood to others. Before I go any farther, let me read Romans 5, 8 to you also. And as I think about this last 24 hours of Jesus' life, Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5, 8. And this is, you know this verse, many of you by heart. This is such a monumental verse. Paul writes, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And again, you all know how much I love reading different translations of the Bible. But God shows. The King James translates that word commendeth. The New International Version translates that demonstrates. The Living Bible says, and the Living Bible puts it in past tense, He has showed His love for us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Good News says, shown. Shown. And I think it's putting it in a sense that not only did the death of Christ on the cross show us His love 2,000 years ago, but the death of Christ on the cross shows His love for us each and every single day. Don't ever forget that he died for us. In the Amplified Bible, God shows and clearly proves. Do you want proof that Jesus loves you? Read these last 24 hours of his earthly life. If you and I are Christians, if you want to know how much Jesus loved the world, read these last 24 hours. Why do we have such a struggle with taking the gospel from this place to the rest of the world? Because I don't think we fully understand that not only is it God's commission, Jesus' commission, but that's why Christ died on the cross, to show the body of Christ to go and tell the world about his death on the cross. Well, folks, I'm going to get there in a minute. But look, look, look at this sheet of paper. I just... I want to point out the the events of those last 24 hours. And as we begin reading here in in chapter 13 of John, and again, we've got all four Gospels, all four Gospel writers detail the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, John more than any other Gospel writer. But let me point something out, okay? First of all, the Lord's Supper began at evening. 
Matthew and Mark says, when it was evening. And then Luke says, and when the hour came, and John even gets more specific when Jesus knew his hour had come. You remember three weeks ago that according to the book of Genesis, as God created the heavens and the earth, people began to relate to to time by the evening to the next evening. That was the day. So in other words, at 6 o'clock that Thursday evening, that began the new day. And so the Lord's Supper here happens on that Thursday evening around 6 o'clock. You remember what happened the next day at 6 o'clock? Jesus had been put in the tomb and the people had left. The 24-hour period is what I'm trying to point out, okay? At the supper, the Lord foretold that Judas was going to betray him. Folks, as you read the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22, after Judas leaves, the other disciples, they are so upset with Judas, but it causes them to begin to argue about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And folks, isn't it ironic that after telling of his suffering and that he's going to die, the disciples want to know who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And isn't it sometimes insulting to God when we talk about Jesus' dying on the cross, and then we want to talk about how great we are? Folks, if we want to talk about the greatness of anybody, it should be about Jesus Christ and not about ourselves, and not even about the church. And if you ever catch me talking about how great Herbert Brown is, you call me down and you say you're acting just like those disciples after the supper. And I pray the Spirit of God will do that to me and you when we start talking about how great we are. The greatness of God cannot be declared by hearts that are full of pride. After they struggle with who's going to be the greatest, then... Jesus foretells or prophesies that Peter is going to deny him three times. And, of course, you and I know how Jesus, uh, Peter said, No, Lord, that's not going to happen, but we know what happened, don't we? And then Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, and he, he does this for an example. He says in John 13, verse 15, I have set this example for you. And folks, it's not just the literal foot washing, but are we following the example of Jesus where we want to help and serve others? And folks, beginning with this, unique to the Gospel of John, and I hope and pray again that you'll read all of this. And you might want to read the Gospel of John first before you go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are shorter accounts of those last 24 hours. But in those unique chapters, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples for his departure. And first of all, he says to them in John 14, he's going away to prepare a place for them. Now, they didn't understand. You and I live on this side of the resurrection, and we understand that because Jesus is alive, he's coming back, and he's coming back for us. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Are you and I willing to take that stand in our day? Let me ask you, are we really? 
Are we willing to be called closed-minded and arrogant and intolerant and any other word that people throw at us? I am so sick and tired of having Christianity related to to Islam or whatever religion people want to relate it to and say, well, we're all we're all serving the same God. Well, anything that demotes Jesus Christ is not serving the same God, because when you demote Jesus Christ, you're demoting God the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. Is that not what he said? But in those chapters... Jesus not only tells him about the place he's going to prepare, Jesus tells him in John 15 and 16 that he is the true vine. We're united together in Christ. All believers are united together in Christ. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, not only to convict the world of sin and Christians of their waywardness, but to empower us. He is going to walk beside us and with us. He's going to dwell in us. By his spirit. And folks, in John chapter 17, there's such a beautiful thing because Jesus consecrates himself to the Father's will. And in John 17, he not only prays for himself, but he prays for all the disciples and he prays for Christians of every generation. John doesn't call it being in Gethsemane, but the other gospel writers tell us that Jesus, after the Lord's Supper, took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus leaves a group of them, and then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit farther, and he tells them, stay awake. Stay awake and pray with me. And folks, as Corey was sharing with the young people, that was a moment in time in Jesus' life when it was so very difficult for him. As a man, he is struggling with surrendering to the will of God. And folks, if you struggle with the will of God, even the Son of God, as a man, struggle with that. It is an experience of the human being to struggle with doing the will of God. And we struggle with it every day. If you seek to live for Jesus, you're going to struggle with this. Jesus knew that he must die. Jesus knew it would be painful. Folks, in in the Gospel of Luke, there's something that happens to Jesus that is absolutely phenomenal. And for years I hadn't understood this. In Luke 22, 44, it says, And being in agony, Jesus prayed the more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down from the, falling down upon the ground. I did not understand that for years. Jesus is under such tremendous stress. How many of us say we're, we're just stressed to the max? And we are. We're living in a society that is so absolutely stressed. But have you ever been so stressed that in sweating, blood was pouring out in your sweat. And there is a condition. If you don't believe this, Google, Google why Jesus, Jesus' blood mixed with sweat. And it will direct you to terminology, and I can't probably say this right, but it's hematitrosis. And it is a proven fact 
that when the body becomes under such stress that the small blood capillaries around the sweat glands and sweat pores rupture, and as a person is sweating, blood comes out at the same time. And Jesus is under such duress at this moment that blood is coming out with the sweat to the point that it is dropping to the ground. And you might be saying, well, why is he telling us all this? Folks, I want you to know our Savior was struggling. You're going to struggle. I struggle with the will of God. But there is victory. Amen. And Luke's gospel tells us. And folks, to me it is so beautiful that God sends an angel to minister to Jesus. Warren Wiersbe writes that for every Gethsemane of a Christian's life, God will send a ministering angel to help us. Forgive me, some of you have already heard some of this on Wednesday nights. Folks, I want to tell you, if you and I serve Jesus Christ, it will be a struggle, but it will be worth it in the end. Jesus knew that the cross was before him but also the crown of glory. You know, what is, that, what is that song, casting our crowns down before him? I want to ask you something. Are we going to have any crowns to cast before him? Are we going to fight the fight? Are we going to finish the race? Are we going to keep the faith that Paul talked about? Jesus struggled. The next time you struggle in living for Jesus... Think about those moments in Gethsemane. Well, folks, the disciples slept and Jesus prayed. And Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. The Bible knowledge commentary says it was probably about 2.30 in the morning when the soldiers came and the Jewish leaders to arrest Jesus. Warren Wiersbe titles it, The Night They Arrested God. I read that phrase and I almost fell out of my chair in the office. The night they arrested God. You see, Jesus is God. And mankind, under the influence of Satan and the dominions of hell, were trying to get Jesus out of the way. You remember this story so well um, earlier in the passage of Scripture uh, Jesus was talking to them about how difficult it was going to be to live for him. And, and he was not talking about using physical swords, but using the swords of the Spirit of God. That's why it's so important for you and I as, as Christians that we put on the full armor of God to, to fight the battle as Christians. But they had two swords among the eleven disciples. I don't know how many soldiers came out with the chief priest and all, but when when they come out to arrest Jesus, Peter, what does he do? He grabs one of the swords and he cuts the the servant of the high priest's ear off. You remember that? John's Gospel tells us that this man's name was Malchus. What does Jesus do? He heals Malchus. And he tells Peter, put away your sword. You see what Peter and the others did not understand that the battle they were fighting would be won at Calvary. The battle that you and I are fighting, it's already been won at Calvary. 
by the Son of God for us. Jesus said, I could have called and God would have sent 12 legions of angels. I'm told that legion in the Roman world was 6,000 soldiers. Jesus could have said, Father, I need 12 legions and 72,000 angels could have showed up. Now let me ask you something. If the death angel went through Egypt and slew the firstborn of the Egyptians and it only took one, what could 72,000 of God's angels do? No. That's not the way the battle is won. It is won at Calvary's cross. Those 24 hours are the hours of victory. So at 2.30 in the morning, they come and they get the Lord Jesus Christ immediately. And and on this sheet, you'll see, I didn't realize this. Jesus actually has to go before six trials. Number one, and this is only mentioned in the Gospel of John, John 18.13, Jesus goes before Annas, who is a previous high priest. Now, let me tell you what they're doing, folks. They're going to trump up charges against Jesus. To put him to death. So he goes before Annas first. Then he goes before Caiaphas, who was the current high priest, who is the son-in-law of Annas. Remember, they plotted together with Judas. Judas has betrayed Jesus to identify who he is. And so now this trials that Jesus is going through, I wanted to, there's a name for it when, it, when it's just silliness. Because here's mankind trying to convict the Son of God that he is a sinner and he's a blasphemer. I I don't fully know how long he stayed at each place. During the time that he is at Caiaphas' house is when Peter denied the Lord the three times. And then he's brought before the Sanhedrin. That's the council of the religious leaders. According to the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible, there were 71 members of the Sanhedrin. And folks, this is just just some things to consider. I'm going to stop at 9.30, I promise you that, okay? Nicodemus and probably Joseph of Arimathea were members of the Sanhedrin. By this time, Nicodemus had come to faith. And Joseph of Arimathea was a believer. And I'll tell you probably two weeks from today why we know that. They surely were not there because for the Sanhedrin to be unanimous that Jesus was a blasphemer and was worthy of death. They had to agree. And you might be asking, and I hope you're asking, well, if... If they went before the religious leaders, then why did he have to go before Pilate? Why did he have to go before Herod? Well, you see, the Jewish people could not condemn a man to death. They could ask for his death, but they could not carry it out because Rome was in control. So Jesus has to go before Pilate twice. Why does this happen? Well, first of all, Pilate is the Roman procurator of Judea from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. I'm telling you all these dates and everything, folks. These are historical facts. 
Okay, this is not some made-up story that preachers came up with or religious people came up with. Pilate's duty was to keep the area quiet. But Pilate, as the ruler of that area, had the authority to give out the death penalty. And so they sent him to Pilate, hoping that Pilate would condemn him. Pilate is trying to pass the buck, so he sends him to Herod Antipas. Herod is the one who had John the Baptist murdered. Let me just quickly read you a couple of verses, okay? Herod had wanted to see Jesus so that he could see some sign done by him. He wanted to be entertained by Jesus. How close he was to the Son of God. And how lost he was in sending him back to Pilate. And folks, Pilate says, I find no crime or no fault in this man. How many times does he do that? Three times. Three times he tells the Jewish leaders, I find no crime in this man. You know what they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they did. Why did Jesus die? If he could have sent and got 72,000 of God's best fighting angels to come down and defend him. If he was the son of God who could turn water into wine, walk on the waters, calm the sea, raise the dead, heal the blind, give strength to the legs of the lame. Why could he not keep from going to the cross and be put to death? It was because his hour had come, and that was his mission from the Father for you and me, for you and for me. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the full extent of your love. Thank you for going to Calvary for us. Thank you for taking our sin and the judgment and punishment of our sin upon yourself. Thank you, Lord, for not resisting or turning away are walking away from those last 24 hours of your earthly life. Father, as we speak of your son's death, help us never to forget that not only was his death for us, but that his death was not the end. Thank you that the tomb is empty. Thank you that the throne where Jesus sits in heaven is filled. And thank you, Lord, that you're coming back for each of us who trust you as our Savior. Father, in these moments of invitation, I pray, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to my heart as well as everybody else's. God, help us to ask, what are we going to do for you in the next 24 hours? And surely... 
the soldiers aren't going to come and get us today and take us before the governor and demand that we be crucified. But surely, Father, you are asking us to give ourselves to you as Jesus did so that we can minister to a hurting world, so that we can follow his example and we can lead them to you. So, Father, as your son said yes to you, help us to say yes also. Help us to say, yes, I'll serve you not only in these next 24 hours, but I'll serve you until I meet your son face to face. Father, bless us in these moments of invitation. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.